0: Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. We are continuing our series through Jesus, uh, entitled When God Became Man, and we're working through right now the different roles of Christ that we see in scripture, Jesus as prophet, Jesus as king, and then uh, we'll be looking at Jesus as priest. Uh, Today we're looking at the theme of Jesus as the king. Uh, What does it mean that Jesus is a king? How do we think about that? And uh, joining me today is King Matt. No, not King Matt. Oh,
1: sorry, I do want to put in a, a plug for alliterating this, so we get prophet, priest, and potentate.
0: Okay, well we you will. think, take... you think catch
1: on? <laughs> we'll take that into consideration. <laughs> okay, never mind. Thank
0: you for that suggestion. We'll uh, we'll run that by and yeah, see what people yeah, think. I, I don't uh, think that's going to catch on. Uh, prophet, okay. priest, potentate. Anyway, um, we are talking about King Jesus and. Uh, as we start this lesson off, one of the questions uh, that I began with, one of the things we talked about is this whole idea of um, kings in America are really not that popular. And I think that goes, you know, obviously that goes back all the way to our founding as a country. You've got, you know, George Washington and people even after the war were kind of starting to insinuate, hey, you know, maybe it'd be a good thing if, if we just made you the king. And he right. uh, said no in no uncertain terms. And so I find that kind of interesting. Now, Matt, we've talked about this before, especially when we went through a series on kings, but you've actually lived in countries with kings, so that gives you a unique perspective here. Uh, what is your take on this on you know, a king? Because is a, is a, we think of kings, and, and honestly, our, our immediate American reaction is, ooh, that's a bad thing.
1: Yeah, I think um, you know, we have the historical reason you said. I, I do think we also in America like to pick our role models. Uh, we don't have one role model for what it means to be American. Uh, you can, you can pick whatever role model you want uh, out of America. And that's not true. I, I know it struck me when I visited England one time,
0: my role model is Matt. <laughs> when
1: I, I was in London and I, and I was, I uh, went to see Buckingham palace just standing outside. And uh, there it's pretty impressive. The beautiful, Gates with this big golden seal in the middle. And, cool. Did you have tea with the queen? Uh, well, no, but she was there because the ah. flag was raised. So when the flag is raised, she's in residence behind those walls. And it, it struck me as I, you know, you look around London and it looks like a very familiar city. It looks like something you see in New England. And it's, there's mm-hmm. nothing about it that's like very foreign or strange feeling. It feels very normal. But then I, I thought to myself, there is something different. What is it? And I realized behind those walls, there's a person who is England. You either are more or less English. Depending on how much you're more or less like her. Right. So there is a, when you have a monarch, you have a person that is, that is the nation. They embody, they embody the, the nation. You got it. And we don't have that here. So, so you really can pick your, your, your interest. You can pick your style of what it means to be an American. I remember when I got to Jordan, uh, you know, people were – there's one Iraqi guy who was a big fan of American pop culture and he knew everything about all this stuff. And he's like, oh, you Americans do this and you Americans do that. And I'm like, no. No, so I do He goes, "Oh, well, you're not. You're not really American." I'm like, "No, I am. I'm really American. I'm lo- I love being American. I'm. I'm. That's part of. That's. That's who I am as a my cultural background. But I'm a Christian first, and and mm-hmm. we get to do that in America, right? Yeah, you know, I, I thought about this a lot. We talk about his missions uh, in a lot of the uh, European countries where the king would become a Christian, and then everybody else has to be a Christian. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a kind of a conundrum. Uh, yeah. And, and, and as as Americans, we say, "Oh no, you should give them liberty." to make that decision themselves. But what's the, everybody downstream from the King supposed to do? Are they going to st- stage rebellion because he's become a Christian? That, that, that has happened. Yeah. Um, are they just going to follow along because it's the you know convenient thing to do? You know, it's a difficult thing to think about when you put that King in that role that we're used to thinking of as uh, either, you know, elected officials or role models that we have for ourselves. So I, I think that that, That really is what rubs us wrong inside, internally. We have a mental dissonance. There's
0: more of an individualism in America that says, you know, you're created and you're endowed by by your creator with these inalienable rights. You have the right to just go out and almost kind of write your own destiny and – and pursue your own path. And yeah, there's definitely more of a national cohesion
1: yeah, and the, that and, comes with. And the country's big enough for that. The resources were all, I mean, you kind of had to set some people loose to go tame this land, right? To go mm-hmm. dig out the resources, to go grow the crops and, and, and make the land useful. And, um, you know, that, that really wasn't going to happen very well with people that liked their monarch, (laughs) as you Mm. can tell by the early settlers in America, it was people that had problems, you know, Georgia was a penal colony, Uh, it was places where, where people were not, it wasn't working for them where they were, they got to come to a place where they could forge their own path. And and that's different with a monarch.
0: Yeah. So as we think through monarchs, then, uh, why is uh, King Jesus a monarch that's, uh, not only worth tolerating, but worth looking forward to as we kind of take that paradigm and then put it over Christ.
1: You know, one of the things that happens with monarchs is you have a great king, and then his son comes in, <laughs> and and he's no good. It, it, it's, yeah. it was really neat living in Jordan, where the, the king who had just passed away before we got there, King Hussein of Jordan, was really well-loved. Everybody thought very highly of him, and and he did an admirable job at leading his country, and and people were concerned about his son because when he came in, he couldn't speak Arabic. He had been raised in England and (laughs) uh, he just, his Arabic was not very good. And so they were like, Oh no, our King doesn't even speak Arabic, but he's done a very admirable job. So you've had two very good, rulers in difficult times admittedly for that country mm-hmm. uh, to navigate peace treaties with Israel, still keeping peace with their neighbors, the Palestinian problem, war in Iraq. I mean, Jordan is, as we say, in between Iraq and a hard place. Ah. Uh, so Never you know, gets old. <laughs> So they've done a good job, but that's rare, right? You yeah. usually, usually get, just like we saw in the study of, of Kings in the Bible, good King, bad King, good King, bad King. Yeah. And it's, I, it's, I it's was listening tragedy. to a
0: podcast once and the guy described it as a dice roll. He said, yeah. "A monarch is a dice roll. You just never know what you're going to get, and you can R- right. You get a guy that's really, really good in there, and then he's followed up, by, and his son's a train wreck. Or yeah. you have a guy, a king who's really bad, and then his son, you know, listens to his counselors and does a, a really good job. And it's
1: hard to string back to back good kings, and and much less the third. It really mm-hmm. gets it gets really hard to do. But but there have been. I mean, you can look around the world today at monarchies that are still in place." That have done a good job. Uh, I don't think England would have survived the way it had if it hadn't through World War II mm. without the monarchy that's been in place. And and look what she's been able to accomplish for quite a long
0: time. She served yeah. long enough for two or three Quite a long monarchs time. herself. Her poor son. <laughs> I know. Son, one day you're going to be king. When, mom? <laughs> for like 30 minutes. <laughs> poor guy.
1: So, yeah, I, th- I think the, 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 you know, uh, following your father's footsteps is a difficult thing for kings. And, and so we... We look at that and going, but so Jesus doesn't have that problem, right? First of all, yeah. he's the great, he's the greatest king ever, right? There's not going to be death during the millennial kingdom, so
0: we're not going to have replacements of of that great king who's going to be sitting on that throne. So anyway, um, yeah. well, you mentioned you know some of these things that we we look at as potential problems with being a king that he represents what you have to be as a people that you know your your destiny is tied to his, so to speak. That, yeah, you know that that authority. Those are things that actually become positives when we think of Jesus as a king. You know that he sure. represents me; that he is um, the one who rules and leads. Like those are things that I can actually, instead of just tolerating, I can actually get behind and get excited about. Well,
1: I was going to talk about this later if we got down to point B in the coming kingdom. So I don't know how far I want to go on this, but you know, he is the king of Israel with national borders and a national people, and that Israeli kingdom. Has an impact over the whole world. They're all coming to worship in Jerusalem, mm-hmm. uh, but the other nations aren't erased. Yeah, right. A lot of times the empire kind of gobbles up everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but but Jesus knows all of his creation. He's the King of Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, he's the King of, of our of the Church. Mm-hmm. Uh, but his he he doesn't destroy nations. Uh, as you pointed out one time in a, in a panel, the nations persist into the eternal state. Yeah, they're still recognizable. The kings of the
0: earth bring their treasures into the New Jerusalem. So
1: that's that. That's going to have some impact. You know, where you look at the kingdom, the empires of the past, and they really wanted to uh, undermine hmm. the, the the other nations they subjugated. Um, I don't think that's the, that's not the same thing with Jesus. Yeah,
0: that's good. Um, as we uh, continue uh, through this, we have the Old Testament. Hope and the way I kind of broke this lesson down, we have the Old Testament hope, which is a king and a kingdom. Sure. We have the New Testament reality, which is the king has come, and then we have uh, the New Testament hope, which is a kingdom is still coming. And I think there, you know, there's tension there. Obviously, that Jesus is the king, the king has come, and he says in his ministry the kingdom of God is near, and many would take that as well. The kingdom is near because the king is near, and um, you know, there's there's tension with okay, Jesus came and he's the king, and then he left, and he hasn't an established. Uh, that kingdom yet and we'll we'll talk about that a little bit uh, as we go along. First of all, we have here the coming king. And as we think through this, there's um, there's several Old Testament passages that really build up this theme. Uh, probably the most famous one is second Samuel 7. We have the son of David and that gets picked up by several of the Psalms. Uh, Psalm 2 in, in particular deals with the Davidic heir and how all the nations are going to have to be uh, subjugated to him. There's this interesting character that shows up in some of the prophets called the branch. And uh, the branch is, you read it about him in Jeremiah and Zechariah. It's a slightly different word, but it's the same concept uh, in Isaiah where you have this this end of Israel, right? It's, it's the end of the Davidic dynasty even. It's just it's cut off. Um, and then from that stump, there's fresh life. There's a sprout that comes up. There's a, a new branch, <clears throat> And so, um, yeah, you know, I was going to ask you about this before,
1: but we'll just let my uh, gap of knowledge and ignorance air here live on record, record so everybody knows it. But I, I did a little research when I was, um, you know, years ago about the Matthew chapter two, um, quoting this um, verse twenty three. He came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth. That might be fulfilled, which is spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene, and that that word's Netzer, if I if I my memory serves me correctly. Um, so I won't to go too far into the, into the weeds on this here. End of the into the weeds, into the weeds for the branch. Uh, but he, so, so basically this branch prophecy from Jeremiah, Zechariah, Matthew saying that he's tie, he's relating that in some way to his location growing up in Nazareth, because there's a coincidence of the similarity of the sound of the words. Is that correct?
0: I don't know. Okay. All right. <laughs> so fair enough. We've aired both of our so, there you, go. You, you started going down that path and I'm like, <laughs> yeah, oh man. We know that's... everything else. So if you're listening to
1: this, <laughs> you found this the one thing we don't know.
0: There are a number of things that as you're studying scripture, you kind of come you're like, oh, that I'll probably need to look into that more at some point when I preach through that passage. Well, when I was, and I, this is on that list. I think list. I was
1: prepping for my ordination council when I did mm. this. And I and I,
0: I really haven't
1: gone back to review that until I read your your, your thing here. Like, oh man, that's... That's that little thing I, esoteric thing I looked into a long time ago about the rationale behind that. So, okay, uh, there's an assignment for everyone listening. That's right. And when you come to church on Sunday, tell Ben and I uh,
0: what you found out. We would love to put that in the notes. There we go. Um, but no, as, as we uh, continue going, we have uh, this, this person of the branch, and then we have uh, the son of man, which is uh, Daniel chapter 7. We talked about that one when we talked about the divinity of Jesus, that there is this character that uh, is somehow, is uh, is human and yet the language that's used uh, is, is language that's typically reserved for the divine. The word that's used there for serve is only used 11 times in Scripture. The other 10 uses, it's used for somebody serving God. He comes riding up on the clouds. That's something that's typically reserved for divinity in Scripture and in the, the culture around them. And so we have this character that's uh, given a kingdom, and he rules. Um, and so we have uh, the Son of Man, the Son of David, and the branch, these three pictures in the Old Testament that there is a coming king, and when he comes he comes with a kingdom. And this is Isaiah chapter 11. Again, a lot of these are kind of scattered all throughout your Old Testament. And so the the point of this lesson is just to kind of give you some of those hooks that as you're going through, you're like, oh, oh, that's that's another example of, of this or of that. And um, when when you read through these Old Testament accounts, um, you, you you put yourself in the place of a first century, not a first century, but a um, an ancient reader who's reading it for the first time, uh, the description of this kingdom sounds very supernatural and very Israel-focused. And so, um, what I guess, w- without actually going through and, and reading all these passages, because there's a lot here, but Matt, as, as we think through these, what are what difference should reading these Old Testament accounts of the coming kingdom? What difference should these accounts make on us? How should we be changed as a result of this? And what do we learn about God and his character from these Old Testament accounts?
1: Oh, wow. Uh, you, you went right for the punchline there. That's huh? right. That's, that's good. Well, when I when I see what you just said, that conflict you just mentioned, um, I think about the nature of God, the, this, the, the transcendent God, the one triune creator of everything, who loves his creation and delights in it. It's a pleasure. He, he saw it was very good. He enjoyed it. It's a it's a good thing. He chooses a nation, right? So here's the transcendent god who chooses a nation. I see in this the opposite of what I saw when I lived in the Middle East hmm. with the Arabic people, the, the people from the Hejaz most properly in ancient Saudi Arabia, the area between Mecca and Medina, who had a local deity. Wow, that was great timing. A local deity, genie uh, out of the bottle. <laughs> okay, we'll cut that out. Yeah, we'll explain the sound effects later. There's a little button here that Ben accidentally pushed. But okay. anyway, uh, no, don't cut it out. That was, that was good. No, that was not good. No, hit the cheering <laughs> button. There's a cheering no. button too. We, have, we should go through all those. People should experience the full no. podcast power that we have here at Colonial.
0: Yes, that we don't use for obvious reasons. Okay,
1: well, we'll let you cut it out if you want to. Okay. When the people, Arabic-speaking people went out to say there's only one God. They basically picked a local deity and make him everyone's God by defeating all the other people, mm-hmm. right? And that's a lot of what you see in ancient cultures, right? They don't mm-hmm. – most cultures, would they have a pantheon of gods, but they have their deity and they kind of go and beat the other deities by having battles, mm-hmm. right? And they, they kill all the other people so that their deity beat your deity. They don't think there's only one deity. Mm-hmm. The Muslims kind of flip that and says no, there's only one deity and we're going to make them everybody's deity. So he's not transcendent because he is in his nature. He's transcendent because we go and beat all the other ones. Hmm. Right. So that's so when you think about now that that function, right? Here's a people picking a God and making him transcendent versus a transcendent God who picks a people to explain himself to the whole world. Hmm. Right. That that now is what we're that's how we should think about to me. That's how we should yeah. think about this. The transcendent God chose a people to explain himself to the whole world versus I as a people, pick a God to force it on the whole world.
0: Hmm. That's interesting. I had never really... Yeah, I mean, it, and, it's, and it's clear as we study Scripture, God's election of Israel was was more than just, you know, well, and it wasn't just, okay, all of you people are coming to heaven and everyone else, you know, tough luck for you. Because we we do, we tend to conflate that with New Testament election terminology. Right. And so we think, oh, God chose Israel, so then they're all saved. Well, there are there are a few people from outside Israel who uh, I, I believe are saved. I think Nebuchadnezzar is an example of that. When you read Daniel sure. four, I think I think Naaman's an example of that. Yeah. When he says, "I am going to worship your God," and you know, I am going to, and and so, when why did God choose Israel? He chose him for a purpose. What was that purpose? The purpose was to reveal who he was, and we don't we don't think about it, but Israel is really on the little tiny land bridge uh, that exists between. Um, Everything. Between Africa and and Europe and Asia. Yeah, for it's, sure. It really is the, the the dead center of the Middle East. Like this is where they're all you, you know, and you go into the you look at history, you've got the the Ptolemies and the Seleucids after Alexander the Great, his empire splits up into four and then it basically coalesces around these two groups. They're meeting in Israel. One's in Egypt, one's up in, you know Syria, uh, Turkey. Syria, yeah, Turkey. Yeah. They're meeting in Israel. Uh, this is where everybody goes. This is the this is the trade routes, and God sets his people there and says, Okay, now you live by my laws, and when everyone comes through, they're going to see me. Yeah. And they're gonna say, Wow, nobody lives like this. Right. And that's that's the purpose for they're him the, to reveal the, himself. They're the righteousness super spreaders.
1: Right, they're seated right <laughs> at the air, the ancient airport, the nexus where everybody's got to come through. Yeah, and 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 look what they did. I mean, even though they they messed up in so many ways. Yeah, when when Christ comes, there's there's synagogues everywhere.
0: Hmm. You know, there, yeah,
1: there are, there are Jewish people everywhere with the Old Testament, with the Torah, and 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 Paul could say there's there's Jews in every place. Moses got witnesses in every place. Yeah,
0: I was reading um a book once, and I can't remember what it was, but it was. It was talking about archaeology and how they were, you know, digging through, um, <clears throat> and just I forget how exactly they put it, but but the general idea was as they uh, unveiled Judah and Israel, they found that this was a people group that was remarkably um, equitable. That 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 hmm. there was a a unity and there wasn't a social stratification like they found in other places and. You know, we see interesting. we see the wealthy taking advantage of the poor, even in the Old Testament, and that that's called out, and no doubt that happened. But from an archaeologist standpoint, when they're looking at, it, they're like, "These people, there's it was a different something different happened in Israel that hmm. didn't happen in these other countries. Uh, this is a this is a very peculiar people group, and you know, whatever it is, <laughs> obviously we know what it is as Christians, but whatever it is, it led to, yeah, it led to them being spread all across the country and and having a major impact. On the world scene, I've y- y- you think about what it would be like to go back to the time in in Israel's, um, you know, when they're kind of being battered around, even in the time of the judges, or even when you know they're the, they're the kingdom um, and they're small and getting battered around. You imagine walking up to a, a Babylon and a king of Babylon, and you ask them, you tell them, okay, there is one people group here <laughs> that is going to persist it far 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 into the future and who's going to have an impact on the rest of the world that's going to continue to be felt and they're they're going to last they're going to make it who do you think it's going to be
1: yeah
0: and they're gonna be like well me right well no oh well then probably egypt no assyria no Hatti. no it's it's israel yeah (laughs) you know it just it seems (laughs) it, it seems ridiculous sure and yet um yeah it's it's cool to think about. That's exactly
1: what happens. And, and you know, today we, we have, I think, the second largest population of Jewish people here in America. Mm. And a lot of American Christians read about the end times and go, oh, is America even in the end times? Well, <laughs> the, that large population of Jewish people is going to have some projects yeah. still in the end times. So, you know, there's a lot of good things that we're able to do to
0: that people group, and that's a good thing for us. So let's keep doing it. Yeah. So anyways, uh, kind of trying to bring it back here. Jesus is king. We're talking about the kingdom. We're talking about Israel as a kingdom. And the hope is that this kingdom that at the time is small, at the time is, uh, especially when the prophets are writing, is just a pawn, a little ping pong ball that's getting batted back and forth between Egypt and Assyria and Babylon, and then Persia comes in and, you know, it's just back and forth and back and forth. And so the, the desire is that God would come, that he would set up his kingdom, and that when the king comes, the kingdom will come. And so uh, the New Testament reality that we have is that the king has come. And as Jesus comes, what we see is that he is presented as the king. And that's uh, done through several ways. First of all, uh, Matthew chapter 1, right? You get to page 1 of the New Testament, and Jesus' genealogy is the first thing you hit. And Jesus' genealogy emphasizes that he is Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And that's a royal claim right there. And, of course, obviously tying it back even to the Abrahamic promise, uh, we go on and we see that Jesus has all authority, and we see this, this kind of language come up a lot. Um, I mentioned uh, in the lesson, Mark uses it quite a bit here in the first, as he's establishing, okay, who is this Jesus person, and mentions that he has authority um, over demons, over sin, over sickness. Uh, and then finally, we get to the resurrection in Matthew twenty eight eighteen. all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. What does this mean that Jesus has all authority, and like, what does that mean for us in our lives, and what does the authority of Jesus mean for the world in which we live now? And then here's the other question. If Jesus has all authority, why doesn't he just exercise that authority and remove all of the evil?
1: Well, you use one of my least favorite words. Use the, oh, word, use the word just.
0: Okay, well, I will not. Let I me just, cross that out. I just don't like that word. <laughs> okay. It's
1: sort of like, you know, we, we throw it in there because it makes it sound more reasonable when really the question is maybe not that reasonable. Anyway, but uh, we'll go to that in a second. But um, to, when I think of Jesus having all authority, I I think about the fact that he is in charge every place I will ever go. Hmm. I go from one place where he has all authority to another place he has all authority in every sphere of life, um, and I'm there to please him. I'm there to I'm there to bend to his rule. I'm there to uh, be an ambassador for him. He's in charge, uh, so you know that as a missionary, that gives me a lot of freedom. I go to, I I was, I was in the, uh, airport in Kuwait once on a layover and, um, I, I had to walk into this place and this guy with a gun, there's always guys with guns when you go into these countries, you know, they have very visible machine guns as they, as they carry their automatic weapons around all the place. And I always try to make friends with those guys. Cause I think to myself, you know, I think it's going to be harder to shoot me if I'm smiling at them. So <laughs> I've never been shot. So I think uh, try that when you see the guy with the gun, just smile and wave. So I go up to the guy and uh, he asked me what I was doing. I was going on a trip somewhere to go preach. So I just, I told him, and he's like, really? And I speak Arabic, of course. So I'm there. I just start witnessing the guy in Arabic. Had a blast witnessing <laughs> this guy with a gun in Kuwait. You know, uh, it's, it's, he's in charge, right? It frees me up. It frees me up. I'm hmm. there to please Jesus. He has the authority. Maybe I'm going to see the wrong end of that muzzle. Maybe I'm not. I don't know. But I do know that Jesus is in charge. And I have confidence in that. And, you know, you, you think about the stability that it gives here in America in your everyday life. You have a boss, you have a situation, you have a, a problem, but Jesus is in charge of everywhere we go. We can. We, we need to have
0: frequent mental recourse to that fact. Hmm. It's interesting that you point that out because in Matthew 28, right before it says, all authority in heaven and on earth, uh, all power. Power is the word on the King James. It's the same idea of, of authority, though. Um, there's actually... Greek words that are translated as power. One has the idea of like authority, the other exousia, the other has the idea of like, you know, ability, you know, miracles, dunamis, power. Um, this is the word for exousia or authority. But in, in uh, Matthew 28, verse 17, it says, and when they saw him, the disciples, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus' response to the doubt was, all power is given unto me in heaven and on earth. I, that's that's interesting. You know, you have this this mixture, and I think that that's where a lot of people are. They worship, but they doubt. Sure. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that's that's kind of the human condition for for Christians. We wrestle with that. We worship, but we doubt. Okay. I I know that God is. You know, I know that Jesus is is something. He's something spectacular. This is where the disciples are. What? But I, what does this mean for the future going forward? What yeah. is it, What is our future going to look like? Well,
1: you think even you think of those doubting people listening to him say this. The first thing he says does is he tells them who he is, right? He tells them his state. He has all authority. He's in charge, right? Then he gives them a command, and then he comforts them, and he says, I'm with you. So if that person with all authority who's told me to go do this thing is with me, then I, I'm now stirred. Like, even if I'm doubting, I'm like, wait a second. He knows that I'm doubting, and he's still going to be with me? And he's going to bring that power to my doubt. And if he can overcome that, right? If he can look at a doubter and say, I have all power. You're going to do this and I'm going to be with you. And somehow these embers of faith can be you know, stoked up hmm. to a flame. He can do anything. Yeah. Right? When he can conquer my cold heart, he can do anything. And I think that's what's great about this is these people that we're doubting changed the whole world yeah i mean these people went out and and believed this and they proved it and and we get to do the same thing
0: it's exciting yeah um and so as we think about this it, it leads into this next truth which is that jesus will one day rule all the kingdoms um and that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess and that kind of leads us into our final point that we want to talk about what do we do with this idea of the kingdom <laughs> Uh, this is something that's, I know, hotly debated in theology. Um, are we in the kingdom? What is the kingdom? You know, some will argue for a spiritual kingdom. Um, a- a- and as we think through this, um, I would argue uh, that the kingdom is not present, that the kingdom is coming. And I would do that on the basis of Acts uh, chapter 1. You mentioned earlier that this is an, an Israelite kingdom. Um and in Acts 1 verse uh six, the disciples are there, and it says when therefore they were come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power. In other words, don't ask when. <laughs> but ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and in the uttermost part of the earth. Okay, so Christ's response to the question, Okay, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel is Don't ask when, go be witnesses. Uh, which is not contradicting the question. Sure. Um, and if you look earlier in the chapter, actually, in verse 2, um, uh, let's see, no, verse 3, it says that he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them by 40 days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So they've had a 40-day class, a uh, block class, with Jesus on the kingdom. And at the end of that block class, their question is, okay, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? So that's still very much what they're expecting, as everything we saw in the Old Testament. So, with that background uh, in mind, it leaves us with a question: If Jesus, you know, kind of what I was saying earlier, if Jesus is ruling right now, why do we not see that reflected? In our why are people still murdered? Why are people still massacred? Why does evil seem to uh, still be running amok in the world in which we live?
1: Well, I think the way you framed it, I uh, earlier when you said it, or when you typed it here in the on your your class notes. Uh, why doesn't he exercise his authority and remove evil? And I would say uh, he did exercise his authority. He does, and he will do. Mm. Right? Um, we, we know the patience that's waiting for every soul to repent. He's, he's keeping that door open so there's room to repent. Um, he is going to rule with a rod of iron. That's absolutely going to happen. So all this is not the final accounting, and he's well within his ability to handle all of this. I think. I think the truth is we get overwhelmed we look around and we feel so small and we feel like uh, the events that are taking place. I just talked to some guys over in Asia and discussing what's happening in, in, in the countries there in Myanmar. And um, you know, they're, they're, they feel overwhelmed. They feel like this, this very big injustice is taking place and um, they have very very little recourse. And uh, you know, is the world going to do anything to help? And, Mm. and they feel very stuck. Um, And then you see a picture of um, a brother cop kneeling, you know, with his Bible open, uh, you see him leading crowds of people in, in scriptural reading and you think, oh, there it, Jesus is exercising his authority. He is mm-hmm. bringing people to himself. Uh, nothing is going to be left undone. The final accounting is not in yet. Yeah. And, uh, and there's a patience there that we need to have. I think we, 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 we think that if we should be able to logically deduce the desired or eventual outcome, that it's, there's no reason it shouldn't happen now. Hmm. Um, which is what the disciples wanted and to know, we, and we lack. Well, at this time, <laughs> you have need of patience. Yeah, right. I mean, that's, that's that's very scriptural thought. When I was a kid, this will not surprise you at all. When I was a kid, <laughs> I I I was. I think five we're years, gonna learn about I and patience. I was five years here. old. Yeah, totally. I was five years old. I really wanted to learn to ride a bike because I had seen these kids down by this creek area on this bike ramp, and it was an awesome dirt ramp they had built up. It went up. And then it had like a gap in the middle. It had a landing ramp on the other side. Like it was like a pretty nice jump. Mm. And these guys on their bikes, I'd watch them as a little kid doing that. I'm like, I'm going to do that. So I'm trying, I'm trying. I, the day I learned to ride my bike, oh, no. I go down to the ramp, you know, and I get lined up and these kids, these older teens looking <laughs> like, I'm, I'm literally, I'm five years old, right? And they go, oh, no. can you do this? And I'm like, huh? Yeah, I, I learned to ride a bike today. Like, I was totally naive. Oh, no. I thought, I can handle this. Right? I line it up. I take off. I fly straight up. I come straight down. I'm in between the, the takeoff ramp and the landing ramp with the bike piled around me. I'm all scratched up and dirty. And I'm not crying or upset. I'm totally confused. I'm like, <laughs> wait, what just happened? I've, <laughs> I was supposed to go over the jump. <laughs> I've seen this done. I can <laughs> ride a bike. Like, why? how did this not what work? What do these poor
0: teenagers do?
1: And I think we end up confused like that. Like we're, we're yeah. looking at this and we're like, what's happened? And, and it's, a, it's a lack of patience. It's a lack of perspective. It's a lack of understanding where the end and beginning and end lines are. And so God doesn't like any of those problems. He's completely in control. The authority that Christ will unveil will be perfect in every stage. He's not going to mess that up. He knows exactly what to do. He could have died for our sins as an infant right? He, mm-hmm. there was, there, he wasn't, He was there was nothing lacking in him, but he lays it out perfectly to fulfill all righteousness.
0: Nothing is out of time, not a single thing. And I think too, this comes back to we walk by faith and not by sight. And that sounds like a really nice platitude. And then you, you ask, okay, what does it mean to walk by faith? It means that we have brothers in Myanmar who are asking, okay, God, what's going on? Why are you letting this happen? And the answer that comes back is faith. Trust me. Trust me that I, I know what I'm doing and that this is for my glory too, and you know we look and we say, okay, you know Jesus, can you exercise some more of your authority here? And he says, I'm going to wait on this one, and I've got a purpose and I've got a reason for doing that, um, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to end this injustice or I'm not going to call this to account yet. I'm, I'm waiting, and yeah, for us to have to wait and to trust God's timing at, rather than our own, um, I think that's, I think that's what walking by faith looks like, is coming to the point where, where day after day we just have to say. God is exercising His authority in this situation, even if I can't see it, and and even if I would do it differently. Yeah, because I think that's the other thing is we try and hold God to our standard, and our standard, you know, it, it makes sense. You know, stop the bad guys. <laughs> you know, sure. Um, help out the the Christians. Um, we went um speaking of missions, <clears throat> we went on a missions trip to Haiti, uh, a couple of years ago I think. Now at this point, and as we're there. You know, we, you spend all this time and all this money preparing, going down, taking all this stuff. People are taking time off of work and you just put all this time and effort in and then the country shuts down because there's riots and we had, we missed two days of work and then we had another team that was going to come in for the second week and that had to get canned and, and you're looking at all of this and we were just, our team was really confused and I really appreciate uh, the missionary, Tim Bauer sat us down and said, guys, I want you to understand this is what missions work is. Sure. Like, he said, I can't tell you how many times I've planned and prepped and prepared and put all this work into something, and it just never happened because of circumstances beyond our control, and it just falls apart. He said, this is why missions is so hard because you have these people who come to the field, and they're all excited, and then they run into that where you try something, and you try 15 different things, and two of them them actually work out. And I mean – I'm not sure if y- you want so, yeah, to so that you take that
1: keep that example because we just heard his report in church. Mm-hmm. And how many churches are they planning in 10 years? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly right. So you, you plan on these things and they don't happen. And then God does awesome stuff. Like yeah. and and what would you what do you want God to do? Do you want God to be predictable and just drip out things mm. or do you want him to go watch me do something that you can't dream of? Watch me watch me unveil the impossible. You know, and while I'm keeping the earth spinning and everything's dripping out right as, as mm-hmm. well, I'm going to do both, right? Yeah. I mean, he's he, he he weighs all of that perfectly. And and to me, like like I my mind's the kind of mind where I'm like I want to, I want to see the spectacular. I want to see the big thing. I want to see that. And I would forget about like, you know, eating and stuff like this. Like, like <laughs> but but God does both, right? Yeah. God handles the methodical and the mundane and the the earth is still spinning. We're able to have this conversation. There's enough air right? And it's mm-hmm. not all filled with COVID. Like, I mean, God, God makes these things work every, his creation still works. That's remarkable. Right. And then these spectacular punctuations of things that take place that you're going, how did that happen? I mean, how yeah. is that? This is impossible. And God did this great thing. Yeah. I love that. I, I I think it's wonderful.
0: Yeah. Well, um, I think we're running uh, near the end of our time here, but uh, I hope this has been helpful as as we think through, what does it mean that Jesus is a king? Um, what does that mean? Obviously, the end is we look forward to the day when he's reigning and when he is reigning with an iron yes. rod and when, you know, um, faith is made sight because that's what we're looking forward to. The point of faith is not to just always be believing, but to, to look forward to the day when faith will become sight and where God will set up his kingdom that we've been looking forward to, that Israel's been looking forward to, that the world, without realizing, it, is looking forward to, that the creation is looking forward to. Romans yeah. 8 tells us it's groaning, waiting for this day. Right. And yet at the same time, as we wait kind of in this awkward in-between where the king has come and now we're waiting for him to come back and set up his kingdom, we trust him as he exercises his authority uh, even today.
1: You may think this is weird, but I've actually, uh, as I thought about this, I'm excited about the coming kingdom. I really am looking forward to the millennium. Um, As I traveled through Jordan, I thought to myself, I I probably won't end up living directly in Israel. I don't know why I thought that. So I picked a really nice spot in Tishbe where Elijah is from. <laughs> uh, so I was like, I, I think this would be a great spot to be. Lord, I could see Jerusalem over in the hills. If there are lights glowing, I'll be able to see that. But this is a good green spot with some hills. This would be a good country for Matt Barfield during the kingdom. So I don't know how that's going to be divvied up, if I'll get to live there or not. But yeah. I've, I have made a request. so
0: That's good. Maybe I can request Hicks Hill Road. Hicks Hill Road. Yeah, that's actually yeah. where I'm from originally, uh, believe it or not. Well, the town's named after you? Well, no, the road is. Just the road. The, the town is McGraw. Oh. I'm giving. I'm going to get doxed. I'm doxing myself. Are there, pot, are there, myself on are there, the there potholes on that road on Hicks Hill Road? No, there's not potholes. It's well maintained. It's your road. Why would you? <laughs> why would you assume that? All right. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for uh, for tuning in. Uh, we appreciate you joining us. Come back and join us next time as we look at the theme Jesus, uh, the Priest. See you later. This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. What you've heard has been an encouragement to you. Please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at ColonialIndie.org or check us out on Facebook. I'm on the Colonial Hills Podcast.